Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host, and joining me, Aubrey, our co-host. I am very excited to be here for this series, Davey, because we're we're like shaking things up a little bit. This is a little bit different, and uh, we are starting a business and finance series. Uh, and and I, you might I'm be super... asking yourself, listeners, why a business and finance yeah, series? Yeah. Well, Davey, you tell us why. I'll tell you why. Because we are constantly trying to figure out every avenue of pain that you as the listener might be going through. So we can kind of hit that niche and we can help you. We can serve you in that avenue. Um, and we haven't talked about this aspect very much, right. to be honest with you. And especially over the past year with 2020, we have heard so many people who they're, either their personal finances have been strained because of yep. a job loss or, or, or something, you know, related to that, uh, or their business is struggling or they're just trying to figure out how, like, how do I navigate this from a financial, or even if you look into the future, maybe it's not right now, but you're going, what are all these changes, all these things, how does it affect my future? Yes. And so it creates some stress, it creates some trauma, it creates some pain. And so we want to help you with this. The other thing is this, one of our guests in this series is Joe Sangle. He's going to be um, putting the exclamation point on this series. And he serves churches a ton with um, helping, you know, helping churches do capital campaigns and stuff. And so he's interacting with pastors a lot, just like we're interacting with pastors and church leaders a lot. And he told me, he said, Davey, the, the two biggest things that pastors are struggling with is how to help the people in their congregations with two things, finances and trauma. Wow. And so we thought, man, it would be a great thing for us to join those two together right here in this series to help serve you. Absolutely. I, I am so looking forward to this. I feel like I have a learn, lot to learn uh, through this series, so I yeah. cannot wait for us to dive in. And we have a very special guest this episode. Yes, we, do. Uh, we have none other than Rachel Cruz, who she is, uh, she has been the number one national best-selling author more than once, I think two times. She's a financial yeah. expert. She's a host of the Rachel Cruz show. She is connected to Ramsey Solutions because her dad is none other than Dave Ramsey. So yep. she knows about money. She teaches people about money and she does it with biblical principles and she does it with passion. She really cares about the people that she's teaching. Um, so this is going to be an yeah. absolutely incredible conversation. Yeah, we specifically dive into her latest book called Know Yourself, Know Your Money. Uh, the subtitle of that is Discover Why You Handle the Money the Way You Do and What to Do About It. I was, I was very intrigued with this uh, th with this book, and when I when I read the title and it kind of came across our desk, and we had the opportunity to interview her because. Um, as we'll talk about after this co the conversation with Ra Rachel Cruz, as you and I kind of commentate on a little bit, mm -hmm. she dives into a subject matter that we talk about a lot at Nothing Is Wasted, and that's your family of origin. And so we're going to yep. break that down a little bit more after this conversation. But before we dive into the conversation with Rachel Cruz, we want to invite you to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you can rate and review this podcast, that would tremendously uh, it would help us. It would encourage us. It helps this podcast to climb in, in the charts, get more exposure. So more people can hear the encouraging stories that are happening at nothing is wasted. Um, and it, we would, we'd just love to hear your, your feedback. We'd love to hear your testimony of how this is a, affecting you and impacting you. Yeah. What God is doing in your life because of nothing is wasted. Be sure to stick around afterwards for our commentary after your interview with Rachel. Let's go ahead and take a listen to your conversation with Rachel Cruz. 
Rachel, it is an honor to have you on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I have been a massive Dave Ramsey fan and then consequently Rachel Cruz fan and uh, all the other Dave Ramsey personalities and the services that you guys provide for a long time. You guys have been very instrumental in my life personally. You've been instrumental in millions of people's lives, I know. And so I'm thrilled to have you on this on this conversation. However, there may be some people who, uh, I don't know if their head's been buried in the sand or what, but they may not know who you are. So I'd love for you to tell everybody who you are. Just give us a little context um, for uh, for what you do and, and your family. And, and then we'd, I'd love to dive into this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I... Um, gosh, for 11 years now, have kind of dedicated my life to helping people get control of their money. And so that kind of came out of my story. I was born the year my parents filed for bankruptcy. And so kind of living in this financial bubble, if you will, of learning how to avoid debt and how to budget and what it looks like to manage resources for God and that be your perspective and all of this. When I went to college, I realized, oh, wow, there is a need for this message. And at the time, specifically for that generation, I mean, you know, student loans, credit cards, all of this was happening to the 19-year-olds around me at college. Right, right. And so I realized, okay, I need to do something. So when I graduated, I was like, this is what I want to do. So I've been traveling and speaking and writing books and have a podcast and a show and all the things to really guide people and help walk with them. And having Dave Ramsey as my dad, it's a it's an interesting perspective. And right. I always laugh. I'm like, he's like everyone's fun-loving, truth-telling <laughs> uncle. And I'm like the friend approach because I have three little kids. Uh, Amelia's yeah. five, Caroline's three, and Charles is one. Winston and I have been married 11 years. And we are in this, we're like in the trenches of doing life and money together. And I feel like I'm just able to connect with people on that level, uh, which is so fun. And it's yeah. so fun to give people tools in one of the hardest subjects in people's lives. I mean, yeah. money carries such shame and guilt and being able to bring hope and peace and a plan. I love it. I love yeah. it so much. So yeah. that's, um, that's kind of where I'm at. Wow. Well, I'll, I'll, I want to, I'm going to launch into this, but I want to give you a little bit of context to Rachel. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you were, you were there a few years ago. I was, I had an opportunity to speak at, um, Ramsey solutions and share a devotional there and, um, share a little bit about the loss of my wife and how you, the ministry of the organization of Ramsey solutions really benefited me and how it shaped how we dealt with finances prior to that tragedy, prior to that mm. trauma, and then how that shaped, uh, what we've been able to do since then to help other people. And I know there are so many people okay. that when they step into tragedy or trauma or, or life kind of presses in around them, finances becomes a massive, massive issue because uh, they're devoid of, you know, the early childhood training or, or there's language that surrounds the way that their family spoke about finances that um, for whatever reason, they're not uh, proficient in that area of life. And so it either becomes, it can become an accelerator to God's purposes in your life, or it can also become something that you see, you know, just kind of caves in around you in the midst of these yeah. you know, this trauma. And, and that's, in a lot of ways, it's the book that you are, you know, you just released this book, released in January uh, 2021, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. And it's about this idea of having awareness of where you are when it comes to the language of finances so that you can know how to get to where you need to be. I love this. And you talk so much about our essentially family of origin, how we grew yes. up hearing about money, learning about money or not, and how that shapes how we act with money now. 
such an important conversation. Um, can you talk about, you talk about in this, this idea of money classrooms. I love this yeah. term. Can you kind of unpack that for me a little? Yeah, it was interesting writing this book. It was a little bit different because for you know, 10 plus years, I've been telling people the how-to, how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to invest, how to refinance, how to give, and really walking through, okay, I can talk about the how-to, but understanding why, why we have these money habits in the first place, mm. getting to the core of that was so, so important. And so being able to go there, I realized the first place you have to start is how you grew up. I mean, so yeah. many counselors, psychologists talk about you know, nature versus nurture. And the more we've been studying, we've realized that nurture has such a greater impact even than just nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way we were shaped and the environment we're around plays such a massive role. And so, you know, your home growing up was your classroom. It's the place where you learned right. all the lessons of life. Uh, some were great lessons that you took with you into adulthood. Others were probably you wish you could unlearn right. some of the lessons, right? right? And so when I was writing the book, I was like, okay, realizing, yeah, that environment plays so much into it. And so realizing that money is communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally, but it's also communicated emotionally. Mm. And I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, it like creates this graph. And I was like, oh, God gave me a quadrant and I'm so happy about this quadrant. <laughs> but it just really shows and speaks to yes, like this is how it works. So yeah. quadrant number one is the anxious money classroom. So if you grew up in this money classroom, that means communication was verbally closed and emotionally stressed. Mm. So you felt tension around money, maybe towards the end of the month when bills were due. You couldn't really pinpoint why because it wasn't talked about, but right. man, you felt the tension. Right. Classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open, but emotionally stressed. Mm. So lots of conflict around money, lots of fighting. You probably heard your parents have the same money fight over and over again. Maybe they fought with extended family members, but like you heard the conflict and it was loud, you knew. Right. Classroom number three is the unaware money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed, but emotionally calm. Mm. So not a lot of tension around it, but it just wasn't talked about. So your head was probably in the sand when it comes to money. Yeah. You just didn't really think about it, kind of ignorant. Yeah. And then classroom number four is the healthiest money classroom. And this is the secure money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open and emotionally calm. So I always tell people, you could have $10 or $10 million in this classroom. It doesn't matter the amount or what your paycheck is, but it really is understanding, okay, that we're controlling the money we can and we right. have a plan for where it's going. So that lowers stress, as well as we're not skirting around the edges of conversation about money. Because money could be uncomfortable to talk right. about, right. but really bringing our family in and being on the same page, talking about the logistical side of money from budgeting and investing in debt to the spiritual and emotional side about contentment and where money is in our life compared to God. I mean, like all these conversations are so important and they need to be had. So yeah. I, I really push my reader to hopefully in their current family to move to that classroom number four and create that environment. Right. But it's good to go back to your own story and say, okay, how did I grow up? Like, what does yeah. this look like for me? That's because great. there's so many weaknesses in, in all of them, but man, it shapes so much. And what's interesting too, and we can dive into this, but I found so many people, they either subconsciously mirror what their parents did because yeah, it's all they know, right, right. or they just do the exact opposite. They like yeah, almost have they this kind of swing to approach the other side where they, the, yes, where they heard fighting and they never want to talk yeah. about it again. Or, you know, it was talked about all the time and now they want nothing to do with it. It's like wow. this visceral approach to it. It's very interesting, but yeah. understanding and pinpointing it is important. Yeah. 
Well, you mentioned earlier that you were born right when your your dad went bankrupt, right? So right at the building blocks of what ended up becoming Ramsey Solutions and Financial Peace University and the pathway that he helps people on and then uh, obviously that you guys help people on now. What did you see kind of growing up in your household? Some like how, you know, how did they fit in? How did the culture of your household fit into these quadrants? What were the shifts? Did you notice some intentionality happening as you were growing up that began to shape your your view of, of money. Yeah, it was funny. I told mom and dad, I was writing this part of the book and I was explaining the secure money classroom. And I was like, you know, I really right. feel like that was my environment. And they both looked at each other and started laughing. And I was like, <laughs> what? And they were like, yeah, cause you don't remember the early days. They're like, we were in the unstable money classroom for years, Rachel. I was like, okay, I, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, for me looking back, cause again, I was born that year. So, I mean, my early memories, four five, six years old, but they are of, uh, truly watching and never could have I have verbalized this as a kid, but looking back, I'm like, I saw and remember sacrifice from my parents. Yeah. I mean, I, I know going to consignment sales to buy your clothes. You know, I know that we never went on vacation. Like that's not, you don't do that. You could only go out to eat on your birthday and we went to Olive Garden and it was like a big deal. You know, like there were these moments, but I look back as a, as an adult and I'm like, man, they laid that groundwork. And I, and it's so, it's so funny when you look at your story. Cause I'm like, I thank God all the time that I was born when I was born. Cause I was like, if I was right. born into what my parents have now, I would be such a brat. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm so thankful that like the yeah. humility of, yeah. of those beginnings were such a foundation for me. And, and again, it, it, this can be for anyone's story, but being able to put money in its proper place, that it's yeah. not something we worship, but we really use it as a tool in our life, but we have to get a grip on it. And a lot of that means sacrifice at the beginning. And I remember experiencing so much of that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, now you're a parent and, um, if, you know, probably I'm imagining that you, you guys are a lot further along than because of the building blocks that your parents laid for you. So is, if, do you have any insight as to how you make sure that your kids are learning those same foundational principles while they may not be in the same circumstances that you were in? You know, how do we help to kind of cultivate it? If it is so much about nurture, how do we cultivate that worldview in our kids uh, if we happen to be at, at a different stage? Yes. Well, I think for parents, you know, there's a lot of people that struggle financially. And so you, they, their ability to, to do things for their kids or, you know, um, give a lot, if you will, right. uh, is limited because right. of just the logistical number, right? And then other people, you know, have, you know, done well and they've stayed faithful and they've they've really played this out. And when you have that as a parent, we've learned, you we have to have boundaries as a parent because it's so easy. And I, and I fell into this, especially during the pandemic where it was like, oh yeah, well, it's just $15 off Amazon. Just buy the toy. It'll come in two days. It'll keep them entertained for a little bit. Yeah. Like I just found myself coping in that way where I was like, I cannot make this a habit for myself, but let alone for my kids to think that Amazon is this magical button and whatever they want shows up at the front <laughs> right. door. Like I have to put boundaries. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Seriously, seriously. So the boundary part as a parent is important, but also involving your kids. Yeah. And I think one of the best things you can do is to give them as much experience with money as possible. And so growing up, mm. we were never given an allowance as kids. We were always on commission. So you work, you get paid, you don't right. work, you don't get paid. So I learned early on that money comes from work and, and you take that money you earn and you give it, you save it, and you spend it in yeah. that order. That's simple. It's those three money muscles. But when your kids understand that connection, that money comes from work, they give and they earn money. They right. give that money differently. They save it differently. They spend it differently and let them make mistakes under your roof. They're yeah. going to spend money on stuff that you're like, it's going to break in the car. It's cheap. 
They're still yeah. going to buy it and good for them. Like, like let them do it. Let them make the mistake because they're making these small inexpensive mistakes under your protection versus the first time they go out, they can right. make a mistake on a car lot at 22, right? right? So, so I think giving them, um, not sheltering them from those things and, and letting them have that real world experience gives them a comfort and an understanding of how money works. Yeah. And then bringing in those conversations though, that I think is so crucial. And especially if you're, if you're a person of faith, I know many listeners are, but, but to, to really view your stuff, everything from your, your marriage, your college degree, your job, your salary, your bank account, your investments, like anything that you have, you are managing that for God. Yeah. Yeah. It is not yours. And when the, when you can have that shift from your head to your heart, that That's ownership true. versus manager, that helps so much. So like talk about that with your kids sh- and show your kids what that looks like. Yeah. Um so it's, it's it's a lot of that kind of thing, but it's so important and it's and it's so easy to not do it because it's hard work and right. you have to be intentional and it takes energy. Um but man, it is such a gift, such wow. a gift to give your kids. Wow. Hi, friends. I wanted to talk to you for a moment about our Nothing is Wasted monthly partner program. We started this program in 2019 to add even more resourcing and value for those of you who are willing to donate $20 a month or more to our ministry. That still is the purpose of this program. But even more than that, it is one great way for you to partner with us. When you set up a recurring donation of $20 a month or more, or a one-time donation of $240 or more, you receive access to all of the content behind our paywall, which includes exclusive bonus episodes with past guests, behind-the-scenes commentaries about some of our episodes, teaching videos, live Q&As, discounts and deals on the Pain to Purpose course and certified guide packages. In addition to what you receive, partnering with us in this way is also supporting the free content and community we provide as a ministry, that is positively impacting tens of thousands of people. We couldn't do this podcast or ministry without our partners, and we're incredibly grateful for all of their support. To find out more about what becoming a monthly partner of Nothing Is Wasted Ministries is all about, head to nothingiswasted.com partners. If you're interested in the bonus content we have available, you can set up a seven-day free trial to preview the content. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com partners. Let's listen to a clip of some of that bonus content now. I was thinking about the illustration of a band. When you put like a band together with a drummer, an electric guitarist, a bass player, a lead singer, maybe a piano, a keyboard player, um, they all play different parts. And if you only play one of those instruments, it's going to be really hard to to figure out what song they're playing, even if they're playing a popular song, because they all kind of play different. Some play rhythm parts, some play backup parts, some play lead parts. But if you put it all together, then it becomes very clear what they're trying to play. The same thing is true when it comes to other godly people. And the reason we need other godly people around us to help us make decisions is because making decisions can be a lot of pressure. There are some big decisions that we're wrestling with. And to walk in those decisions in isolation, that can be really dangerous. I absolutely love this quadrant that you're laying out here because, you know, again, it speaks to the family of origin. 
uh, some of which we are very unaware of, right? Because these are things that we operate in, in default. It's just kind of natural that it's passed down from generation to generation. You absorb it almost based on your environment. And so you just start to operate in that space. And many times it's not till pressure kind of hits your life or tragedy or, you know, this past year, right? When, when COVID has now sh shaken the foundation of everything in all of our lives, that we begin to realize the cracks in our foundations we begin to realize where maybe some of these quadrants, if we're living in one of these other quadrants, you know, the first three where it's like, oh man, now I feel uh, inept. I feel like I'm not able to, you know, I feel devoid of what I'm supposed to. And, and so the temptation is, I believe, to try to just fix it quickly and, or maybe try to spend your way out of it or whatever, and not really dig into the deep heartfelt awareness of, okay, what are the base level worldviews? that are driving my decisions right now when it comes to money. And what you're saying is we've got to dig back deep. We got to get down to the bottom of this so that we, we can rewire some things and, and, and then we can operate in a different space. How would you suggest somebody become aware of and, and get curious about the quadrant that they're living in? You know, what kind of, are there some questions mm -hmm. we can ask and go, okay, how do I identify which one I'm in so I can know how to, how to move quadrants yes. if I need to, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think looking back at your story, it's okay, this is how I grew up. And so you can really look at some of your money habits and the ones that are negative that you know, okay, I probably shouldn't do this, but gosh, it just feels good in the moment or I'm going to just right. use that to cope or I'm going to just like pull that out to see, okay, number one, did I see that growing up? Did I subconsciously pick this up because of the environment I grew up? And if you can pinpoint those things, that gets to the root of it. But I think... I think life problems masquerade themselves as money problems. Well, so most of our money problems are a symptom of something much deeper. Yeah. And so looking to say, okay, maybe you have a ton of debt and you, a lot of credit card debt. And you're like, how did I get here? What's happening? Well, and ask yourself, why? Is it because you're not planning well? For some people, they just default to the right. credit card and because they, they're not planning. They're scared to go into the details. Why are you scared to go into the details? Start asking yourself that question. And maybe it does pinpoint back to, well, money was a source of conflict, so I would rather just not worry about it. Or maybe yeah. you grew up in quadrant three, the unaware classroom, and that felt good. There's a level of safety there. And you're like, if I go dig into the details, that's going to get all stirred up, and I don't want to go there. Like you pinpointing why. Or maybe you're in debt because you are finding that you're just spending and spending and spending because it feels good. Maybe you want to look and present right. a certain way because that's right. how you were taught. I mean, any of those, any problem that you have with money, start to ask. And if you're married... A lot of money problems that are within between husband and wife are actually marriage problems, yep. right? Yep. There's a level of something that is that is missing, a, a lack of respect, or someone yeah. is doesn't have the empathy for the other, like whatever it is, digging into that. And so starting there, because that's that's kind of what from for myself, I'm like, this book and, and all looking at money in this way, in this lens, it get again, it gets to that root issue, right, right. but you have to do the work to dig. And I think there was a quote, I saw it after I wrote the book. I wish I had heard it before, but it was something <laughs> along the lines of ask the four whys. Like if you ask why, why, if you ask it four times, four times. wow, you get to that. And so I love that because I'm like, yes, you can start to really dig into that. And then again, going back to your childhood and, and yeah. I've learned even in my story um, I've been in counseling. I love counseling. <laughs> I you love learn counseling a lot. Yes. You learn a lot in counseling. And I love, my counselor always said, when we're talking about parents, we're not here to bash them because it can be easy to do that, but we're not here to defend them. Yeah. We're here to tell the truth. Yeah. 
And so the as deep of the truth as you can get is going to help you start weaving and navigating through your story. And some of those money habits are going to start kind of poking out that you can say, okay, that's this good. is why I'm doing that. Wow. That's so good. Well, you know, some of it has to do with, um, personality wiring, you know, the way that we're, the way that we kind of naturally, you know, I know you said nature versus nurture and nurture really ha plays a probably heavier role in this, but, but some of our wiring plays a role in this as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the different ways that people are wired, uh, and, and how to, you know, deal with money? Cause I know my wife and I were wired differently, you know, um, I would tend to be the, the spender, I'm gonna spend on big things. She'd tend to be the saver at all costs, like, you know, yeah, but there's yeah. some different wirings that you lay out in this book. Can you talk about some of those? Yes. Well, we all have tendencies when it comes to money. So I talk about seven of them. Mm. So one of them, yeah, is that spender versus saver. And with the tendencies, I always say and preference that, that neither is right or wrong. There's not a right or wrong here. The extremes yeah. can get unhealthy. Can you tell my wife that? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know. Everyone thinks the spender, and I'm the spender in my yeah, relationship, which yeah. is so funny. Uh, I like to call it investing. You know, I'm investing in something, right? You know, if I spend something, I'm actually investing. I'm investing in our fun. I'm investing in our memories. I'm, in, you know, that kind of thing. There's a lot of good stuff. Like to spend it a spenders way. <laughs> bring a lot of life to That's the world. Right. And it's great. It's great. Yeah. So neither one's right or wrong. Uh, the extremes can get unhealthy. Yeah. But again, pinpointing and, and having that verbiage. So yeah, thinking, okay, are you a spender versus a saver? If you're married, what is your spouse? Yeah. Um, when you spend money, do you spend it on experiences or do you spend it on actual things? Mm. Like I'm an experienced person. I'm yeah. like, I will go on a great vacation. I'll go to dinner. I'll take my kids to the zoo. I love an experience where yeah. my husband is a thing guy. He's like, oh no. I want Alexa light bulbs all over the house so I can say, Alexa, <laughs> turn on bedroom. You know, and everything comes on. That's He's amazing. like, I just need the gadget. I need the gadget. What are you? Are you are you experienced or things? Uh, probably more experiences. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. vacations, big time. Definitely love that. It's like if everything else hits the fan, I need to know that I've got my vacation planned to <laughs> yeah. get away and kind of regroup and figure it out, you know? So I'm definitely yes. budgeting that one. And that's that's going to be high priority. So we can cut out... Uh, yeah, we'll cut, we'll cut out some food stuff. We'll cut out some, you know, we'll cut out toiletries and different stuff like right. that if we can go on vacation. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. Uh, there's another uh, tendency, quality over quantity. Mm. And so when you do, are you good with having, you know, cheaper things, more less expensive, but you want the options yep. and the variety, or yeah. do you want a quality product, something there? Yeah. Uh, there's abundance versus scarcity. We talk a lot about that, I feel like, in, in the right. faith community, but are you more abundance-minded, glass half full, or do you find yourself you know, more of a scarcity? Yeah. Um, why do you want money is a question. And so is your answer more because of security or is it more because of status? And status is not bad. Status just means, yeah, I want money so that I can do things. But a lot of people say, no, I just want money to feel secure and feel good. So, so again, it's these seven tendencies, but going down and realizing which one you are and then those in your life. And it just gives you this level of empathy where you yeah. can start to pinpoint say, ah, that's it. Like, again, the experiences and things was big for me and Winston because I'm like, okay, yeah, he, he's not a Debbie Downer if he doesn't want to spend a ton at dinner one night. Because he's yeah. like, no, it, it, he'll go and have a great dinner. But he's like, uh, I'm good. Either way, yeah. no big deal. I can go yeah. to Chili's or I can go to a steakhouse. <laughs> he's like, uh, whatever, you know, yeah. where I'm like, what if we yeah. have a date night? I want it big, you know, but I'm like, no, it's just like he just doesn't value those certain things. So, right. again, giving the vernacular to people, I think, was really important for this part of the book. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. You know, um, one of the things that you talk about quite a bit, and this is I want to camp here on this issue for a little bit because uh especially to the folks who are listening to this, they've walked through trauma, some kind of 
difficult experience in their life. And so when, when you leave that, um, uh, raveled up, you haven't addressed the trauma, it can manifest itself in a lot of different emotions and, um, uh, anxiety and fear are certainly one of the biggest emotions that many people are going to wrestle with. Um, because what trauma tells us a lot of times is that this world is not safe, mm. right? We've experienced something difficult and we go all of a sudden now this world is not safe. And that can begin to inform all of our decisions and it can paralyze us or it can drive us to do things that are, um, you know, uh, not the things that we would want to do if we, you know, if we were to step back and look at it, if we were in a healthy space, we wouldn't, yeah, we wouldn't yeah. make those same decisions. Um, but this is definitely something that fear is something that can drive our money decisions as well. Um, talk about that. Can you un unpack fear a little bit, unpack, um, some of that anxiousness that <laughs> surrounds the conversation of money and why it's so imperative that we get a hold on this if we're going to make wise one money decisions? Yes. Yeah. Money is, it's a big motivator for people. And I talked to Dr. Chip Dodd a lot in this section of the book because I love what he says about fear. And his very first statement was, fear is your your body's literal response that you are in need of something. Yeah. And so there's a level of fear that actually can be really good because it can say to you, hey, yeah. there's some red lights coming off. Maybe you need to put some safeguards in place. Maybe yeah. you need to go and have conversations or put things in order for this fear to, dive, to drive down because that fear could be real. Like yeah. what you're fearing Absolutely. really could be a reality. So. Yeah. So let's put things in place. Now, when it goes to anxiety, it goes to paralyzing fear. That's that's not good. That's not what I'm talking about. But but some of the money fears, listen to it. Because one of the top financial fears I hear all the time, specifically for women, it's women's number one financial fear, is the lack of financial security. Mm -hmm. So it's the question, if something happens, am I going to be okay? Right. It's the number one question. And so realizing that 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency in cash. Yeah. That 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So if you are one of those statistics and the pandemic hits and you're furloughed or you're one of the millions that were laid off, fear is going to rise up because you are thinking, how am I going to pay my bills? Yeah. What's going to happen? But when you can listen to that fear and say, okay, maybe what I've been doing isn't working. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can actually change the way I'm viewing my money, the way I handle my money, so I can put things in place that are wise, biblical, that maybe this, that can help subside this fear. Yeah. And so maybe you look at, okay, maybe I need to build up an emergency fund. Maybe I right. do need savings that covers more than $400. Right. Maybe I should start get stop going into debt and working my way out of debt. And so right. I don't have all these bills. So, so listening to that fear and verbalizing and understanding it specifically is, is huge. That's so good. Uh, there was another big fear that, that um, which maybe your audience can relate to with trauma is that these outside factors is going to determine how I win financially. Right. So everything from an event that happens that you can't control, right. um, who's elected into the White House, a pandemic, right? Like any of these things that are completely out of our control, is it's a very big fear spot for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. And so realizing in that moment, like, okay, there are things in life that are, and again, your listeners have experienced probably more in life than I could even imagine, but I'm like, right. that we just can't control. Like things are going to happen that we don't have control over. And so staying there, that can be paralyzing because you can't do anything about that. Right. But what are the things you can control? And I look at that and say, okay, well, you can control the money that's coming in, right? If yeah. you do have a job or you are, even if it's unemployment that you're getting, whatever it is, 
you can control that. You can control your work ethic and choosing what opportunities you take and diving into an industry. Maybe you never thought you'd work in, but for the time being, maybe that's what you have to do to pay the bills. You can control the people you're around. You know, we are not called to do life alone. And so to get out of that isolation and bring people around you and who you're surrounding yourself with, you can control that. Like there are things in life. So focusing on that. So that's my hope. I walk through six of these money fears, but but giving people a level of, of tactical application and not shutting down fear completely. Because right. I feel like I, when I used to hear fear, I was like, oh, it's just bad oh, all the yeah. way around. But Chip Dodd really kind of enlightened me. I was like, yep. man, there's really could be a really healthy thing where you say, okay, absolutely, what can I do? What can I do with this fear to help me in this scenario versus paralyze me? Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I think the, one of the reasons that we struggle with ongoing or perpetual anxiety is because we worry about the things that we have no control over. Mm. But then we fail to do something about or we neglect the things that we do have control over. I think it's so important, especially when in times of pressure and times of, of trauma in our lives, we've got to make sure that we can parse out what am I in control over? And we're oftentimes more in, in more in control of things than what we realize. Mm. You know? Um, yeah. I think pressurous times in life tend to cause us to kind of throw up our hands and like apathy or paralysis. And we're like, Oh no, you know, but we, we, if we step back, we're in more control than what we think we are. Um, but then also there are definitely things that we can't control and that's where we can trust the Lord. You know, I mean, scripture tells us that there are certain things that, uh, we, we just don't need to be anxious about because it's, it's in the Lord's control. So by prayer and petition, we present our requests to God right? We bring it to him. We say, I can't control this, but I'm going to do the part that I can control. And, and I love what, you know, what you were referring to, what Dr. Dr. Dodd, is that what you said? Chip Dodd, yes, yeah. where he was talking mm-hmm. about this idea of like, let these emotions be this red light indicator that, that kind of alerts you to certain things. And then you can begin to parse out if you're able to take a step back and go, okay, what's valid? What's not? How do I need to act? And how do I, how do I not? Um, but then also, you know, Rachel, what you're talking about right there with like creating, uh, kind of some security and safety to quell that fear. Um, that's what I love about financial peace university. One of the sessions, uh, in financial peace university is this idea of building good defenses. I love that because that was so helpful to me before I walked through the tragedy of losing my wife, Mm. because we began to build these defenses we know the storm's coming in life. Yeah. We know it. I mean, you don't have to live very long to, for you just to experientially see that. But then also, you know, Scripture tells us in Matthew 7, the storm comes for the wise and the foolish. Right? Man on the house, Absolutely. the man on the sand. And, but the, the wise man was the one that built his house on the rock, and he built proper defenses. You know, and you can probably tell me a lot more of, of like, what are those proper defenses that we could build up in our, in our, in our financial household to hedge from storms so that our finances don't com- completely, and our house, therefore, doesn't completely collapse when we do have pressurized seasons of life? Can yes. you give us no, some of those? No, I love that point. Yeah, because it's not if life's going to happen, exactly. it's when. And, and to be able to safeguard that time, because even in all, you know, the listeners that have gone through trauma... And I've heard so many people say this, but I'm like, man, my, my prayer is to put things in place so that if or when right. something occurs, that you're not dealing with that emotional loss or that physical loss, whatever right. happens, and the financial stuff on the back end, right? Like if right. all of that can be taken care of, there's a level that you almost probably can grieve in a totally different way exactly. when this isn't playing 
in the other side of your ear. And so, yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, we have the baby steps, so that's right. what, kind of always one of my go-tos. But but honestly, like getting an emergency fund of $1,000, if you don't have it, work on that. And that's the number one thing. Get that $1,000 and then start working your way out of debt, all your yeah. consumer debt, smallest to largest, and then building up that emergency fund to three to six months of expenses. Right. And so that'll take people on average probably three to four years to do all of that. But that's going to give you a very, very solid financial foundation. Mm. I mean, scripture is clear that in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. A foolish man devours all he has. Wise people save. And every time debt is mentioned in scripture, it is in a negative fashion. I never say it's a sin. I don't think it's a sin. So if you have student loans, you can still go to heaven. It's fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it's always negative because yeah. the borrower slates the lender. There's a level of freedom that you don't have right. when you owe someone something. And so breaking those chains and being completely financially free opens up options in so many ways of your life. So doing that. And then, and then also the budget. I mean, the budget is, it's simple. It's your income every month minus your expenses equals zero. It's fifth grade math, but it's really hard to do. Personal yeah. finance, very small of it is understanding. Like I literally just gave you what you needed to know. Yep. Most people can understand all of that. But doing it is so difficult. And so that's the hard thing. When you start to put these safeguards in place, if you haven't already, what you're doing is you're changing the way you've been viewing and handling your money. And change is hard. Change is uncomfortable. It is not fun. And I took all our car seats out of the car the other day and I had to switch them back. And I put the wrong ones in the different (laughs) places. And my three-year-old like would not get in the car seat. She's like, it's in the wrong spot. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I thought, God, Caroline even hates change. Like, right? Like we like the same thing. We like predictability. Even if what we're doing, we know is not right, it still feels good because it's comfortable. And so you have to have the hope though that that your future when you change is better than your present. And until you get to that point where you say, okay, I have to change the way I've been doing this. I know it's not going to be fun. I know it's vulnerable because I might mess up. I might not do it perfectly. But when I can step into that and do something different, that's when you're going to see progress. And so I know all this is easier said than done. So, But the truth of the matter is, when you actually decide, that's the beautiful right. thing. Like right. God has given us a level of will that we get to say, "Right, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and just do something different. And yeah. you have that freedom and ability. And yeah. so that's my encouragement is to do that. If you're in a place that you're not happy financially, look to scripture, look to common sense and say, okay, what are things I can start applying? Yeah. Pain is unavoidable. And yet, the primary place I see people get stuck in their pain journey is that they try to avoid addressing it altogether. Recovery starts the moment we choose to take that first step toward wholeness and we lean into the painful emotions. While we believe we have so much to offer as a ministry to help you in your recovery journey, we know there's one area that you need that we don't directly provide, and that is traditional counseling and therapy services. That's why we partner with Faithful Counseling. They are an online worldwide organization that provides virtual counseling from wherever you are. They have licensed therapists who are certified by their state's board to provide traditional mental health counseling from a Christian perspective. You can receive the help you need quickly when you sign up because they match you with a counselor in 24 hours or less. Then you can connect with them anytime via your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. And if your counselor you are matched with isn't a good fit for you, you're able to switch at any time to find someone who better fits your needs. To be clear, Faithful Counseling is not a crisis line. 
but it can be an incredible resource in your healing journey. It costs $65 per week, and financial aid is available to those who qualify, which you can apply for during the sign-up process. To learn more, go to faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. If you sign up through that link only, you will receive 10% off your first month of counseling for being a part of the Nothing Is Wasted community. Again, that's faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. And now, back to our interview. This book is so timely because obviously we're all coming off of the end of 2020. Um, This pandemic, we thought it would be, you know, maybe a couple months, right? And it's continued, it's persisted, and it's changed a lot of things, quite possibly has changed many things forever for a lot of us. Um, And so now we're adjusting, now we're trying to change, and now we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we still thrive in the midst of this personally, corporately, as a nation? How does this look? So if, if someone's listening to this and they've felt uh, the ramifications of, of 2020. I know there's a large spectrum of ramifications, right? I know there's yeah. some job loss. I know there's some loss, I mean, actual loss of family members. I know that there are, um, job, you know, different uh, businesses kind of imploding. And, and, and then there's some people who their businesses have really taken off, you know, because they were meeting a felt need in the midst of all of this, right? So I know I'm asking you to speak to a large spectrum here, but maybe kind of talk to me a little bit about, okay, you're listening to this. You have felt the ramifications of, of COVID-19 emotionally, practically, financially. What do we do now, right? What do we do now uh, to make sure that our financial household is getting put back in order or is in order? Um, how do we approach yeah. this as we, as we step into 2021? Yeah, well, there's really two big groups of people. There's the one group on the financial side um, that still has not replaced income. Maybe the industry that they were in for so long, it has not come back. And you're still in this almost um, urgent state still months later. And so if that's you, I would say, listen, pause everything. Everything I just said before about the debt snow, you know, paying off your debt, all that, pause it all and just stockpile cash. Like if Mm -hmm. you're to the point that your income is not where it was, you need to focus on taking care of your family. That's the only thing. Yeah. So stockpile cash and take care of your four walls. We call that food, shelter, utilities, and transportation. Yeah. Stay current on all of those. And that needs to be your priority. And then the other side of the spectrum are people that either replace jobs that they lost and or, again, like you said, while some industries tanked, others boom. So maybe you're right. in a place that, yeah, your industry, your business, where you work, it is fine, but there's still this fear, this level of unhealthy fear that looms. And so what you have to realize is that fear is a terrible financial advisor. People make (laughs) such bad decisions financially when it is all 100% based on this paralyzing fear. I mean, for months, I was yelling at people, don't cash out your 401k. Don't cash out your 401k. Don't cash out your 401k. And the CARES Act came like, you can cash out your 401k without Ugh. penalty. I'm like, don't cash it out. Because what happened, the market did that. But right. now it, 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 you've, we've gained it's, it succeeded. plus like almost right. 22% of where it was. So, so if, again, if you made that decision, just, oh, I'm scared. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull. That's yeah. an example of letting fear being your financial advisor. So what you want to do is focus on facts. Yeah. What are the facts of what's going on in your life? If, is the fact that maybe your boss has come in last week and said, oh, we are not regaining. We may have to have another wave of layoffs. Mm-hmm in three weeks. If that's you, okay, pause everything because you know something's about to happen. You could go back to that group one. But again, if you're in it, if you're in a stable position, continue to move, move forward, continue to pay off that debt, saving up that emergency, whatever it is, 
continue to to go and do. And so I think that's the hard part. Now we're a little bit out of the fog because sadly right. this has like become normal. Yeah. But especially at the beginning, I think that that fear just overrode people and it it, it became so foggy that no yeah. one really knew what to do. And so mm-hmm. hopefully the dust has settled a little bit on your situation and you can kind of focus on those facts more than you could six months ago. Right. Um, but that's what, that's what I would advise that depending on what group you're in, what you need to do right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. You know, someone might be listening to this and they're thinking about these ideas of, you know, habits and change and trying to, you know, okay, let me get more introspective. Let me get more curious and become more aware of what are the worldviews that I've taken on or adopted? What quadrant am I in? And they're, they're excited. They want to do this. Right. But they're, they're kind of, maybe they have a limiting belief where they're looking at, you know, they're, they're, they're watching this. They're listening to this. They're going, Rachel, you were, you're Dave Ramsey's daughter. You know, of course, like, you, you grew up in the, here's how you handle your finances household. Um, can you, uh, maybe you, can you tell us a little bit of how you have had to maybe untangle some of these things in your own personal life and kind of build, cause I'm, I'm assuming that you, you know, you're not excluded from this conversation. You didn't just have this perfect worldview of how money should operate, even though you had a great foundation. So what are some things that you've had to do to change some habits yourself and maybe talk about the the tactical ways that you went about doing that to give us some some advice on how to do it our, in our own lives. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll just go back to 2020, shall we? <laughs> I think we all learned a lot about ourselves in that year. Yeah. No, but for me, I mean, God has such a sense of humor because as I was writing this book, I was like, oh, I needed to hear that. Oh, man, I needed to hear that. Like, geez, it's uh, very convicting. I totally so get there it. Were I'm two... a preacher. Most sermons I write, it's like, yeah, I'm kind of writing this for myself. I'm preaching to myself right now. Here we go. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two big things in the last probably 18 months, I would say, for me that have been big is, is my realization, number one, of why I spend the money I spend. So like on the tendencies we talked about, I lean more status. I want to go and do fun things. I'm a spender. Um, you know, I, I lean on those side, abundance mentality, all of that. But I started to realize as an Enneagram three, which we appreciate <laughs> we go. that I, I've had to ask myself whenever I make a purchase, I now filter it through the question, if no one sees this purchase, do I still want it? Oh, that's good. And so it's been convicting for me because I'll be honest, yeah. it's like 50-50. Like I'm like, cute <laughs> pair of shoes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because they're super cute. I won't be, you know, or maybe I just want the pair of shoes and it's fine. Just wear but them around the house. Filter cool. through, yeah, 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 yeah both. We'll get both. <laughs> uh, filter that. My purchase, my purchasing is is big. I, I've had to realize that. Yeah, that's good. Um, I've also realized, you know, that I, especially during the pandemic, I'm like, I was just buy stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be on Amazon just buying stuff. And I'm like, what am I doing? And, and I remember asking myself, I was editing the book, which is so funny in the middle of this. And I stopped yeah. and I was like, hey, ask the why. But I, did, I was like, why do I feel like I need to buy this right now? And I was like, because I'm bored. Mm. And I thought, well, why am I okay not just being bored? And I was like, oh, mm. yeah, that's not a good place to be. Yeah. That's pretty unhealthy when I'm not okay just sitting still because yeah. let's be honest, that's, you know, I'm so used to busyness. So conviction there. Right. Um, what, I remember there were a few nights going to bed in April where I asked Winston, I was like, are we going to be okay? Yeah. Like the world felt like it was caving around us. And and on paper, the cruises, we're fine. We've been doing this for a decade now. Like we've been working the plan. On paper, we're good. And I've never really had my, that fear, mm-hmm. are, are we going to be okay, rose right. up in me. And not on a tactical side, because again, on paper, it was fine. But it was so emotional for me where I realized I thought I safeguarded my heart and my perspective mm-hmm. with money for so long that I didn't make it an idol in my life. But the moment I thought that was being shaken, it scared me. I mean, it really did where I thought, man, and it was so convicting where I thought, God, I have put a level of security 
an, an extreme level wow. unhealthy in in our investments or in our bank yeah. account, whatever it is. And I thought, man, I didn't realize I was doing that. Yeah. And it's almost subconscious until right. it's just right in front of you. So right. no. Oh yeah. I could I could keep listing more for you. But no, <laughs> I, I always have to right. check myself because I'm like, money is so it's there's a spiritual element, a, right. an emotional element. I mean, there's so much in it. And so yeah. making sure that it and, and scripture is clear, there's so many warnings yeah. against the subject, right? Like they're right. it can be very dangerous. You can't serve both God and money. I mean, it is it is yep. big, but we live similar. in America where it's bigger is better and that right. the hustle is what's applauded and right, like that's right. the environment we live in. And so to have a totally different eternal mindset with money that is so different than how the world yep. views it, um, it's really important to do. And it's hard because yep. we get in these ruts like yep. I experienced, but yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's where I would, you know, just really challenge everybody who's listening to this, that these are seasons, right? These sponge seasons that that life is pressing in around us. No matter what you would qualify, no matter what's going on in your life, whether it is COVID and the emotional, physical, financial ramifications of it, or whether you are walking through some kind of trial right now, these are the seasons that God is inviting us through these seasons to pause, to take a step back and to really ask the tough questions. Because in these seasons, God's going to do something really powerful to root out some issues in our lives. And um, that's why I'm so excited about this book, Rachel, because there's so many deeply, uh, deeply rooted spiritual issues, deeply rooted emotional issues surrounding this topic of money. And I believe this, this book is going to help people dig into that. And, uh, and so I'm grateful that, that you wrote it. I'm grateful for this message that you're carrying and for everything that you and your family that you guys do. So thank you so much. This is awesome. Where can folks follow what you're doing? Where can we tap in a little bit more? Yes. Yeah. You can go to rachelcruz.com um, or the podcast Rachel Cruz show is there on wherever you listen to podcasts or YouTube or Facebook. We have a video version of it and yeah, all over social media and the book is anywhere, anywhere books are sold. It's awesome. That's awesome. Again, the name of the book is Know Yourself, Know Your Money, and uh, you can pick that up anywhere. And uh, we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes. Rachel, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. This has been so beneficial. Well, thank you, Davey. And thanks for all you're doing. I know I can't even speak. I mean, you're the expert on all of this, but I'm like that the wounds and trauma of life is so hard to navigate and so hard to deal with. So I know that everything you guys are doing is just helping so much. So, so thanks for having me on. I appreciate being a guest and thanks for all the work you're doing. Well, thank you. Davey, that was an excellent conversation with Rachel Cruz. I love yeah. that she's the first guest in the series because she is obviously wise and experienced mm -hmm. and um, passionate, I think, about the topic and yeah. uh, not one to shy away from how we may have grown up mm -hmm. in our various families, you know, for better <laughs> or worse, That's right. about money. That's right. I was curious what your experience kind of growing up, what's your family of origin story with money? Oh, well, you know... Um... You know, she talked a little bit about these quadrants. I was trying to mm -hmm. figure out where we where we fit in those quadrants. Um, you know, I grew up a pastor's in a pastor's home, right, a ministry home, and so um, one of the reasons. And both my parents listen to this, so I, I mean, I sure hope that this doesn't <laughs> affect. We love anything. you, we Davis love you. Parents. I, you guys are <laughs> phenomenal people. I love you so much. But one of the reasons initially that I kind of um, were. Uh, 
was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say running away from ministry, but like ministry was the last thing that I wanted to do. Right. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons was because I always felt a little bit of this, like we can't afford that type. Yeah. Now my parents did a phenomenal job of trying to put us in as many opportunities as possible. Like for what they made as a teacher and a pastor, they did, they did the absolute best they could. They gave us so many opportunities and they probably overextended themselves to do that. Right. I know they were very sacrificial in doing that. I, I 100%. Awesome. I'm so appreciative of them for doing that because That's it awesome. put my brother and I in these opportunities, but I did feel that sometimes, you know, that there was like this, you know, I'd see friends of mine that would do. And so from, from a young, immature perspective, um, it's not the perspective I have now, but from a young, mm-hmm. immature pr- perspective, it caused me to go, well, I don't really want to go into ministry because I feel like there's like multiple levels of broke, right? There's broke. <laughs> Then there's right, like, right. then there's like college kid broke. And then there's like ministry broke, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's so true. Yep. And so, um, you know, but I do remember my parents taking our church. My dad was a pastor of a church and, uh, taking them through Dave Ramsey's financial peace university. So I remember nice. a, 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 a seasons where we were doing the, the envelope system. And so learning that, I remember mm-hmm. my mom teaching me the envelope system when I started getting a job and then th- them requiring me to uh, pay for certain things like our, my car insurance and my gas and, such so that good taught life me some skills. good responsibility yeah. and good life skills. And so we're adopting a lot of that that I learned from my parents and that we've learned from Dave Ramsey and some other folks to teach our kids about money at an early age and teach them about responsibility and teach them about uh, chores and or commissions, right? As Dave Ramsey talks about. I love that. I love that. your commissions by uh-huh. doing work um, around the house and then you you can save up and you can purchase things. But then we also teach them how to tithe and how to give back to God. So. That's so good. I, you know, I was thinking about my family of origin, but then even my family's family of origin with this because my my dad grew up. Um, his dad died when he was five years old, so he was raised by a single mom, four mm. kids, and uh, they were broke. Like you could see the dirt floor underneath yeah. their floorboards of the house, broke, broke. And um, so wow. he really kind of determined that would not be his story, and a little bit like what you're saying, Davy. But so my dad. Yeah. Um, was the first person in the family to go to college. He went to college on the GI Bill and uh, worked his way up in a company until he was finally the owner of the company. And so he he worked really hard to like not live out that same cycle of poverty, which yeah. um, looking, looking back on that now, I appreciate how hard my dad worked for our family. And so we had, um, we had like, I have, a, I have a younger sister and we joke about it now, but my dad always made us had, have emergency cash in our car at all times. Yeah. And he would do these like <laughs> drills with us. He'd be like, okay, it's emergency cash time. Do you have it? And we never had it. But we always spent <laughs> our emergency cash. No, we never had it. Oh, yes, that's so we funny. spent it. We were girls. We wanted to go shopping. And I'll never forget in college, my dad handed me, I think it was like $50. And he said, this is your emergency cash in college. Do not get rid of it. Do not spend it. And so I kept it in my car. And one day in college, this was before cell phones, I ran out of gas on the side of the road and I needed my emergency money so I could get a taxi to get me to a gas station. So my dad's uh, lessons were really Uh, good. But you know, we talk about like you mentioned talking about your kids, uh, finances with your kids. We do a lot of conversations with them about budgeting, about that money, all money comes from God. All of our money is God's. And so we're going to give back to him before we do anything else. We're going to pray about things when we're in need and we're going to expect God to provide for us. 
Um, I do wonder hearing you say that though, cause we're a pastor's family too. I wonder if my kids hear more than they should <laughs> when times are tough. I wonder if they hear us say, you know, Oh, yeah. wow. Ministry is not paying that well this month. Yeah. And, uh, I want to be more mindful of that. Well, and I, yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. And I think my parents did a, a good job of this and we're trying to do the same thing for our kids to really point them to the provision of God. Mm. Right. And take them on the journey because we, we find times and seasons where we feel strained, but God comes through in a big way. That's and right. so I want them to see, Hey, look how good God is as, as our provider. And, and we can look to him as our, as our source, um, and, and our supply and, and, and we don't have to. Yeah. So I think that's just, it's, it's important to kind of curb that language so that we're just, it's part of the discipleship journey for our kids because really, yeah. and that's one of the reasons we're doing the series. Money is such a big topic. Jesus talks about this topic more than he talks about many of the other topics of faith. That's right. He does more than heaven, more than hell, more than all these other things that we consistently focus on yeah. in evangelical Christianity. And the reason he talks about it so much is because there is a direct line tied from our wallet to our worship. Oh, that's good, Davey. You're so right. It is mm -hmm. the thing. I mean, w at the end of the day, when we feel squeezed financially, we find out who who, who we're relying on. That's right. What we're worshiping. And what yep. we're worshiping. Yeah. So yep. so this is important for us, uh, important for us to talk about with our kids, important for us to also digest ourselves. So that's why I'm so glad we're doing this series. Yeah. As with every episode of our podcast, we want to help you partner with God to take back your story. And so one of the reasons I'm super excited about this this business and finance series is that maybe your story involves some business and finance pain. We want to help mm -hmm. you partner with God to take back your story there. This series is going to be a great resource for you. But if there are other ways that we can help you, um, I want you to go to nothingiswasted.com. You can check out the Pain to Purpose course there. Maybe you want to purchase that and take it on your own or in a group. Maybe you want to hire a certified guide to walk you through that one-on-one, -on -one, or you can join a community group. Again, that's at nothingiswasted.com. And we want to help you partner with God to take back your story. We also would love to give a shout out to Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can find Sleeping at Last music wherever you find your music. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, at Davy Blackburn, and at Samp. And come back next week for more of the business and yes. finance series. I can't wait for this next episode. This <laughs> is with David Stewart and Brandon Mann. So let's go yeah. ahead and take a listen to a little bit of your conversation with these guys. Pastors often have a difficult time bridging a vernacular mm. that helps equip the men and women, as you said, who, if they work outside the home, and by the way, a lot of important <laughs> work happens in the home. So that's, right. that's and that's a different ministry, right. right? There's a lot of ministries for for moms and dads who are raising kids actively at home, yeah. and we. Uh, we thank them and, and that's so important. But for those who work outside the home in the sense that they go to a job somewhere uh, or virtually now work on a job, uh, they spend the majority of their time, we spend the majority of our time in the workplace, mm. right? If you just look at it, 70%, the stats, whatever you want to grab, it, we spend more time with the people we yep. work with in, in the industry and sectors whether it's education, healthcare, we spend most of our time there. Yeah. And so the point is, this is the most accessible mission field for us. Mm -hmm.